Alrighty, and we are back with Cibolo Creek Conversations. My name is Wyatt Marchant, and I'm here with Mr. Paul Wilson. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. I've been listening to some of our, you know, podcasts. Yeah. We begin the exact same way every single time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With the same phrase. Yes. I have it down. I, I didn't did. even try to memorize it. <laughs> I was thinking, I wonder if we should mix it up a little bit. Maybe someday I'll start and I'll introduce myself and say, and I'm here with Wyatt Marchant. All right. Next episode, you'll start up. Okay. Now That's I'll a, get nervous. Yeah. Be out of my <laughs> out of my rhythm words I haven't practiced. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You just had to be with uh, doing good. How are you? And then we carry on. Exactly. You don't have to say the same words I say. Just do your own set. All right, I'll try to think of something. And, you know, I think I was reflecting on the fact that our very first episode, we went through some ground rules. Yeah. And I think one of the rules was that we were going to throw in some dad jokes now and then. I don't don't think we have. Here we are in season two, episode something or other, and I've never provided any good dad jokes. That is kind of on you. Yeah. All right, so next time I'll come prepared to introduce the segment and i'll come with the dad joke oh you okay so you're talking about a dad joke like um section of the show not even like intertwined within it (laughs) this is just you want to you want a time period (laughs) well my little monologue you know to kick things off yeah 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 you get you get those every sunday for an hour but you need one on here no maybe i'll be really um crafty about it and i'll sneak one in in the course of the conversation all right well there yeah that's that's kind of how i figured it would go but we can have a we can just have a time <laughs> yeah and they're on camera so they'll be able to see you roll your eyes and refuse to laugh at me yeah like it, my sons do yeah well maybe for that time i don't even show my part of the camera it's just it's just a <laughs> just shot on me you. so that yeah. so that way they can do what they want i can come it. out and kind of do a johnny carson sort of you know you know monologue yeah have three or four dad jokes, and then we can get into the good stuff. And then we can get into the good stuff. And I'll, everybody will know that they just skip about a minute into the... <laughs> exactly, I'll know. <laughs> this is Paul and his dad jokes. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll uh, we'll have to do that. All right. But, but anyways, um, this episode, we're continuing with answering uh, the questions that haven't been answered in Sibylla Creek's Q&A Sunday a couple weeks ago. Right. Which is where we... Uh, because... You kind of started this off, but Sybil Creek, um, we believe that answering or asking questions and having a space to ask questions is really important um, in just the journey of faith and and figuring out who Jesus is and what it means to follow him. And a big part of that is asking questions. And so one way that you provide space for that is Q&A Sunday, which is where people can come in whether they're online or in person, and um, through their phone, ask questions, and then you answer a number of them live on stage that Sunday. But then there's this whole huge portion that don't get answered. Just yeah, we of just time. get so many of them. Yeah, just because yeah. of time. And a lot of the ones that are answered are tougher questions that don't have a minute answer, right? Right, right. And so anyways, <clears throat> we're left with a whole bunch of questions, which for me is nice because it's easy to uh, figure out what people kind of want to know and it gives a uh, good content for us to make on this right so and then you know if we, if we play it right we can direct some more traffic to our podcast by saying hey if you answered asked the question and it didn't get answered Wyatt and i are tackling it on Cibolo creek conversations yep 
Yeah. And to make it even more accessible is I'm going to probably chop up the episodes by question. Too. Oh, yeah. That would be I haven't, I didn't this last one, but I'm going to just so people can go specifically to if they want to hear about translations versus versions or what that right. means, they can go directly to that. Oh, that'd be good. Yeah. And so, so anyways, we're continuing with that today. And um, we had some questions about baptism. <clears throat> First off, this wasn't necessarily a question, but I think it's kind of important. What What is baptism uh, as a practice? What's kind of the theology behind it? Well, some of that depends on what kind of theological or denominational background you come from. Um, I come from a perspective that baptism is simply a a public declaration of one's decision to follow Jesus. Um, Jesus invited his disciples to be baptized and then for them to continue the practice of baptism. And again, I only know it as um, the public declaration of faith, uh, of the faith that a, the decision of faith that somebody has already been made. And so over the last 25 years of you know, serving Cibolo Creek, I don't know that there's ever been a baptism that we haven't started with some sort of explanation about what are we doing here today? What will you be seeing? And we talk about the fact these people being baptized, whether they're children, students, adults, they're all declaring for you publicly that they've made the decision to follow Jesus. And then we almost always clarify, one, nobody's getting saved here today when they get baptized. That's already happened when they placed their faith in Christ. And that could have been two weeks earlier. It could have been 20 years earlier. Whenever they made that decision of faith, they became a Christian. They were saved. And the reason we explain that is that some people come from denominational backgrounds or even just, you know, kind of a biblical illiteracy that they don't know that they think the baptism is how they how a person gets saved so we want to make sure of that and then we always we always talk about the fact that um, nobody's sins are being washed away and we tend to we tend to take a lighter side of things from time to time and so we'll always say there's no magic in this water this water came from the tap and um, we just put it in here this morning, and we just kind of take some of the mystery out of that, that no sins are being washed away. Those those sins that are forgiven, and are, the Bible speaks of being washed away, that happened when they placed their faith in Christ as their Savior. Again, whether that was two weeks ago or 20 years ago, their sins were paid for and um, forgiven when they placed their faith in Christ. So we just want people. We want people to make sure. We want to make sure that people aren't being confused, and this is really important, uh, particularly when it comes to the children being baptized. Mm. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. It's not even the children that we're worried about confusing. It's about the parents, because there are parents who, again, who come out of certain theological systems or backgrounds, and they go, "Well, I have to get my kid baptized, my child baptized, so that they'll they'll go to heaven." if something would happen to them as a child. And, um, and then lots of parents think, this is the way that I make sure that my child's sins will be forgiven or washed away. And we just 
we're trying to help parents not to be confused. Now, we, we take some extra steps with children, too, before they're baptized. We meet with the child and with their parents. Um, one of our children's ministry pastors is sitting down with that family and talking through what is the child's understanding of what they're about to do and what is the parent's understanding so that we can just kind of um, head off any confusion that might create misunderstanding. But then we always, we're wanting the audience who's witnessing it to understand. So person gets saved by placing their faith in Christ. They've made this decision. And then at some point, they make the decision to be baptized. And we're just, we just refer to that as they're going public. They're letting other people know, I have made the decision to follow Jesus. And um, again, other churches do it differently believe differently about those things i'm i don't really i'm not interested in sitting in you know any judgment or criticism of their faith and practice i just want to make sure that the people that i steward as the pastor of a church i want them to understand as accurately as as i think they should about what we're doing there yeah and so this is another question that kind of came up as infant baptism. So I know that with kids, you kind of already addressed that. But as far as infants, I know a lot of different denominations and different churches do something with infant baptism. I know we do something called baby dedication. Yeah. And so what kind of, I've heard an argument put forward for this is that, well, up until uh, the age of responsibility, I think was the Accountability. term. Accountability, yeah. yeah. To where that child is, I guess, old enough that they can be accountable for the decisions that they make. Um, that being baptized as a, as a baby or even as a kid, that um, the parents choosing for them, like, hey, this, this child's a, part of a Christian family, and we kind of claim that for them up until the point of a, age of accountability. What, what kind of goes along with that? Because I know there's a lot of different thoughts yeah. on that. Yeah, you know, interestingly, in, in the New Testament, where baptism is introduced uh, to the followers of Christ and and to the church, there's not a single example of an infant being baptized. It's all adult baptism. And um, so we don't see any examples of infant baptism, and that doesn't happen until I think it's like like the fourth century that there's this first evidence of infants being baptized and it's it's born out of a church tradition which i think has a confusing theological understanding is that there is this this proposition that a child can be saved or the child can kind of be protected um, as a child before they can make a decision of faith by the act of baptism but one that's not the purpose of baptism and two that's not how a person is protected and so um, out of that, that theological background, a whole tradition was created. And the fact of the matter is, if I understand some of the history there, um, that was created as a way of creating fear in the parents. Oh, you need to have your child baptized so that they'll go to heaven if they die before you know the age of accountability. And um, it was just a way to either... Um, create fear in the parents by way of making sure that they're attending church or creating fear by way of actually 
paying sort of a you know a fee to make sure that it mm. gets done. So it was all manipulation, it was all intimidation, and unfortunately it doesn't reflect anything about the heart of the scriptures about it. So my big my big uh, resistance to infant baptism is that the child is not capable of truly understanding a choice to place their faith in Jesus as Savior. That's simply something their parents are, you know, um, enforcing or predicting for them. And we just, my understanding of Scripture, that's not how salvation works. Yeah. And so... Um, the problem with it is that a lot of families will practice infant baptism and never really follow up on it. I meet people all the time who are 40, 50, 60 years old, and they still live in the assurances of their infant baptism. Yep. <laughs> and so, you know, most parents who do that, they, they never follow up and encourage a discovery of faith in the life of their child to make their own decision about it. And so whether at 12 or 14 or 16 or 18, that child's not, one, making a decision, their own personal decision of faith in Jesus Christ and not being baptized because they've mis- they've been misled. Oh, you're fine. You were baptized as a baby. And whenever I teach on baptism, that's always the big eye-opener for a lot of people is, wait a second, he's right. I That was a decision my parents made for me. It had absolutely no significance by way of understanding in my life, I was, I was three months old. And, um, so yeah, infant baptism is, is a tradition that got started much after, much longer after the completion of the scriptures and born in sort of a, a misdirected theological tradition. So consequently, that's not anything we're looking to perpetuate. Now we do a, we do a thing called baby dedication and it's it there's no there's no uh you know theological or salvific power to it it's just an occasion that we create with parents of new babies and we host a, a an event and the parents come with their child and then grandparents and aunts and uncles you know they'll have extended families come with them and we'll just we'll just take a few minutes to emphasize the importance of the role of a parent in the life of their child and the influence that they have and their God-given responsibility to parent that child well. And then we'll just pray over the families. And, and really, we're not doing anything on behalf of the child. It's really about the parents. Yeah, We call it a baby dedication. Really, what we're dedicating is the parents. And dedicating, meaning we as, we as a church are speaking into their life, encouraging them about, you know, raising their child um, in a position to learn about faith. But we, we can't police it. Um, and we, we really try to dismiss the mystery of, like, something's happening here today that will you know, guarantee that your child's going to grow up and follow Jesus. I You know, I love to destroy that kind of misunderstanding. So... I always get a few minutes to talk, and um, that'll be one of the things to say. I, it doesn't matter what I pray today. It doesn't matter what I say today. One, it's your responsibility, and um, we're really praying over you that you'll shoulder your responsibility as a parent well and give your child the opportunity to learn about what it means to have faith in Christ. You almost see it kind of like marriage in that, 
<clears throat> at a wedding ceremony. Like me and Allie just got married five months ago. Yesterday was our five month anniversary. Well, happy anniversary. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, but like, anyways, like both both parties, the the husband and the wife, then are are making a declaration of their intent to uh, uh, one be married before God, but also before everybody there, and and their intent to act a certain way to one another. Right. Um, and then I would also, and then like with, with that, maybe this has kind of been forgotten in the in in recent years, but it's almost a level of accountability on the two sides because it's like, okay, well, if I have a friend and they see me whenever we're out acting in a way that is not in accordance with with the terms that I agreed to that right. day, right? right? And almost with these parents, and like you said, we can't police them, but with these parents, if they're if they're bringing, if they dedicated their child, or if they got them baptized in this symbolic act, <clears throat> if their community, uh, other Christ followers that they're very close to, see them parenting in a way that's outside of what they have spoken to right. uh, shooting at, uh, what they're aiming for, then they can kind of come in and be like, "Hey, yeah. you've said these things." Yeah. So um, there's there's some there should be some accountability yeah. there. Yeah. And I think that perhaps again maybe that kind of been forgotten, but. But anyways, well, that's, I think that's a good idea of infant baptism. And, and I love how you make it a point to kind of take the mysticism out of things. Yeah. Because I heard the story, this guy, uh, I think he was maybe yeah, a Catholic church or Lutheran. I think whichever denomination that still does like holy water, I know Catholics do. Yeah. But he's like, yeah, <laughs> the mysticism really goes away whenever you have to go into the back and the holy water is in like regular jugs. Yeah. It just has holy water written on it. <laughs> Yeah, that was my experience. I was doing um I was doing a funeral down at uh one of the army bases and they had this room where the preacher would be before the service began. Mm. And right off the room was like this little supply closet and there was, you know, the baptismal font or font and in it was a clear gallon jug and somebody had written on marker holy water and I was just like, yeah. Really holy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's so funny. But but I've also had, like, I have grandparents who grew up Lutheran, and they, I'm talking to them. This was actually after my baptism and, and uh, salvation. but And this was kind of before I understood more. But I was, they, I was like, yeah, so have you guys done this or that? Or where are you guys at with your faith? And they were like, well, we were baptized. And I was like, okay. Like when? Like, well, we were ten or eleven. I'm like, because I didn't know at the time. I was like, what does that mean? Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, but do, do you believe is Jesus Christ your Lord? <laughs> like, and uh, it was just a completely different. Yeah. Because of the, I'm a tradition guy, but because of the tradition, it's confused people with confirmation and and baptism. That 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 if you just get those stamps, you're okay. Yeah, great way to say it. Yes, and that's that runs deep in. A lot of denominational traditions. Yeah. They're basically boxes that you check or hoops that you jump through and oftentimes, you know, administered by or enforced by your parents and administered by, you know, the church and its leaders. And it has this real kind of um, official sort of significance to it and people put put all their hope in that. And that's... It's really confusing, and it's not just confusing for this life. It's it's confusing for 
eternity mm-hmm. th- that there are people and I've met them and I've had the conversations with them. They are banking on the fact I got baptized as an infant. I will go to heaven when I die. And I'm like, well, tell me what you believe about the gospel of Jesus Christ and your relationship to it. And they have little or no understanding of that other than I'm a good person. And I go to church a lot. I go, well, you might want to figure out how one actually goes to heaven because it's not by baptism. Just take a quick read through any of the Gospels. <laughs> yeah. Just, you can even glance. Just take a stab at it. <laughs> Open it up and search for the word baby <laughs> and just see, or infant, either way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, and that's that's kind of the pernicious side because it's almost the other side of of what a lot of churches do now when it comes to salvation is that um, they get this false view of Jesus. You and I have talked this about this all the time, that he's just, well, he just loves you exactly how you are, and um, he's essentially he's not going to ask you to change. Yeah. And this side is just this rigid traditional system where it's you got to check these boxes and then you're good. And it's amazing how we've run from that. We get over here and now we just hope and pray that we can somehow land in the middle between the two. Um, but so going off of that, yeah, you've answered this question, but but I guess just to get a little bit deeper, one of the somebody asked specifically, and I'm guessing maybe this person either hasn't been on a Sunday that we baptized, though. Funny enough, Q and A Sunday, we're baptism Sunday. Right. Um, they asked, "Will I go to heaven if I don't get baptized? And if not, well, then why do we do it?" And you right. kind of answered that, but just to specifically answer yeah. this person. Well, I think the best place to begin with the the answer is kind of look at baptism from a historical perspective. Um, it was all very different in the first century than it is in the 21st century, particularly 21st century America. Um, when a person was getting baptized in the day of Jesus, it was a really serious decision that they were making because they were going public largely in a Jewish society. So they're basically standing up in, the, in their Jewish society saying, I've come to believe that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. Well, that society completely rejected that idea. So for a person in the first century, and we see this, we see this most in the book of Acts, um, for a person to make a decision to be baptized, to go public with their profession of faith in Christ, they took all sorts of risks. They were going to be ostracized from their families. They were going to, in most cases, lose jobs because their jobs were family businesses. They had been excommunicated from the synagogue, like never go back there ever again. Um, and at times, and we see this, they, they'd been arrested imprisoned, stoned to death because they were coming out to make a declaration of who they believe Jesus is to them in contrast or antithesis to everyone around them. And where did the baptisms take place? They took places in the rivers and the shores of you know the ocean. And so um, it wasn't just like the little little you know church at Jerusalem crowd that was, witnessing the baptism, they were doing them out in these public places and lots of people would see it. So um, 
in the first century, if you made the decision to get baptized, you had to count the cost. You had to think through, wow, the implications of this are pretty significant. Now, I don't, so we can't replicate that, at least in 21st century America at this point. Most baptisms take place, you know, in a sanctuary auditorium of a church, largely with people who embrace the practice, understand what it means. Um, Nobody's going to lose a job over it. Nobody's going to be kicked out of their family for it in most cases. Um, Nobody's going to get arrested and, and killed for it. So it's really possible that it's a pretty easy, leisurely sort of decision to make. And um, so it, it's just interesting if, if, we could, if we could somehow get people to understand today what it means to make the decision to get baptized. There's a, just a far greater significance to it. Um, but, but here's, uh, because we don't have that kind of significance, most people, I'm not saying they're not sincere and serious about it. I just don't know that they know how significant it is. Now, there's nowhere in Scripture, so this is just Paul Wilson kind of, you know, exegetical privilege here, if you will. I'm wondering if, in fact, in the heart of Jesus, baptism wasn't a bit of a test to see how serious a person was about their repentance, their confession of faith in him in the first century. Yeah. Because those people knew, if I go public with this, life can get really, really hard for me. And it did get really hard for them. That's why in the book of Acts, you see this community of Christians taking care of each other, selling their property so that they could take the proceeds and support those who had lost their jobs because they... They went public on who they believed Jesus to be, and they got baptized declaring that, you know, publicly. So, um, again, I don't, there's no place in Scripture where it's ever uh, directly stated, and I don't want to say that there is anything like that. There's no place where it says it was a test. But if you look at the cultural and social context of it, it's, it's not hard for me to, to imagine that, that Jesus' instructions to be baptized is a call. It's a call to just how serious are you about this? Are you, in fact, willing to count the cost? Are you, in fact, willing to take up your cross and follow me? Because baptism would initiate that in a, in a very fresh way. And so because that's kind of lost... It's, it's not hard to imagine that in the 21st century, people would say, well, you know, if it doesn't really mean anything, then why even bother doing it? Well, I'd say, well, the only reason, the only answer I can give you is why would you do it is because Jesus instructed you to do it. And maybe it's, in many ways, the very first step of how serious you are about obeying him. Yeah. That's what I was just thinking. And this this idea, and I don't want to tread carefully here because I don't want it to be construed the wrong way, but the accountability within a church, which by everyone knows can go so wrong, 
Sure. And it can become so pious and so like, <laughs> yeah, you're sinning and I, I'm perfect. <laughs> right. But <clears throat> it, I think kind of going back, like you were saying, that this first step in obeying him, not only has he asked us to do it, but it also sets you up in, in and this is all, this are kind of ideas that have just kind of come to me as we've been talking, but it kind of sets you up into a position to where you've declared something in front of all these people in the same way that you do when you get married. And as Christ is, and in and, and the New Testament, as marriage is defined, the church and marriage between a man and a woman is symbolic of what Jesus and the church Right. what that relationship is and so if if you do if you get baptized in this public declaration it's very similar to the wedding ceremony and then that accountability exists to where you're going to get called out if you're cheating on your wife if you're cheating on your husband in that kind yeah. of same way yeah. it's like well hey i've been baptized but then you go and and act completely uh in discordance i think yeah. that's a word with discordance i think that's a word in contrast and yeah, in contrast with um, the way that Christ has asked us to live in the commandments that He's given us, <clears throat> other members of the church, your other brothers and sisters in Christ, can then confront you on those grounds. Not confront you in a "Hey, you're a sinner, you're yeah, sinning," yeah. no, but in a "Hey, you've declared these things. I also agree. What's going on?" Yeah, no, without a doubt, I think I think there is the invitation to accountability with that sort of public declaration churches unfortunately don't do accountability really well yeah which which you've already referred to um but you know i could ask the same question so this person's like well if baptism really doesn't make it you know it's not really a thing then why even bother with it but i could say well you know because we believe in faith without works as a you know a fundamental proposition of our of our christian beliefs well then why would you do anything why would you go to church why would you read your bible why would you pray why would you uh you know behave yourself morally ethically why why would you obey anything that jesus said if you're essentially functioning from the belief that i don't have to do anything other than just profess my faith in jesus christ which we talked a lot about in our last podcast so um, I've always, the way I've always endeavored to explain it to folks is that baptism is like the first step of obedience. Now, it's really unfortunate that for many people, their first step of obedience is 30 years later. But I try to position it as Christ has invited you or asked you, instructed you to be baptized. Now, as one who's accepted his grace, received his salvation, we begin the journey of obedience. And here's a crystal clear one. This, this one's not debatable. He made it very clear that he invites you to be baptized. So why aren't you going to do it? And I've heard, I've heard every excuse in the world from, well, I, I don't think I'm ready in the sense of I'm not a good enough Christian. That's when that one's easy to respond because baptism isn't it isn't graduation. Baptism is commencement. Baptism is the beginning of the journey. It's not you get it all together and then you qualify to get baptized. It's not that. But I've heard everything from well, 
I'd be mortified if anybody saw me soaking wet, my hair, you know, all undone, or I'd, I'd be afraid my clothes would be clinging to me because I'm all wet, and it'd just be embarrassed. People would see how much extra weight I'm carrying. I mean, like, serious, I've heard all of the excuses. My makeup will run. Um, so those are harder to... I mean, they're easier to confront in the sense of being able to react to, but it's it's just amazing how many people, that's a make-or-break deal for them. And I, so, and I've talked about it in messages like the makeup running and the hair being undone and the clothes sticking to you and all that. And I've just said, basically, seriously, we're talking about, the, we're talking about a step of obedience to the person who died for you gave his life to forgive you of your sin provide you salvation offer you eternal life and you're worried about what you're going to look like yeah if you're worried about what you're going to look like wet imagine what you look like strung up on a cross <laughs> exactly so <laughs> you, know. you know it's it's it, it it's ridiculous but it's it's real people's you know sure. concern and so i try to shepherd folks through that but i don't let them off i don't let them rationalize their way out of it and i'll very sensitively very carefully very compassionate i say yeah come on let's really think through what it is that you're saying here about why you're not going to take a step of obedience an obvious step of obedience in the direction of doing what christ has asked you to do you know <clears throat> As I kind of hear that question, and I don't know that this is not the heart. I'm guessing this is not the heart that was implied by whoever asked this question. But the, if not, well, why do we do it? It, it kind of going back to the marriage uh, analogy. It reminds me of the people who, mainly men, who say, "Well, marriage is just paperwork. It's just a, it's just a certificate. We don't. I don't need to get married in order to be married to my wife in my heart." It's like, okay, guy. <laughs> Yeah. If it's just paperwork, then just go do it. It's not that big of a deal then. Yeah, like, yeah exactly. What's the big deal? What's the underlying thing? No, because that paperwork represents responsibility. Yeah, what ties you to something. Yeah, it, it's a vow that you make before God and witnesses, and that's that's a serious act of responsibility and accountability. And again, I think baptism carries that same weight, but most people don't. They certainly don't understand. Few of them understand it in a first century weight. But so often I see people, particularly as it relates to their wanting their kids to be baptized, it's just sort of like a, a cute little Christian tradition. I want my kids to do it. And depending on your culture that you're in, it can be like, well, my kid got in around here. My kid got into A and M. My kid got into UT. It's like a, it's yeah. a, a little status. Yeah, symbol, it's a maybe. cultural status symbol. I think sometimes. Yeah. So again, we're working really hard to avoid people being confused about what baptism is. We try to explain its significance. We try to explain why you do it and why you don't do it, and when when you ought to do it, when you shouldn't do it, and. Um, I don't know that we'll ever be, you know, 100% uh, successful in all of those ways. 
you know, we work really hard to make sure that by the time the person steps into the pool, there's been enough people that have had conversations with them to assure ourselves they they know why they're there and what they're doing. But it's still funny. We we had a little boy, and I guess the only way to say it, he kind of slipped through the system. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, it's baptism Sunday, and he's in the pool with me. And he, he must have been all of, what, eight or nine, maybe not even that old. Yeah, probably about that old. And so we always ask everybody the two questions. Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And he looked at me like, what are you talking about? What? <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is wonderful. I didn't know what to do. And I just punted. I was like, okay, well, somebody assured me. <laughs> I'm, I, I, prob- I just didn't, I didn't know what to do. I seriously was like, why well, do I just stop it here? And I think what we decided to do was we followed up with the parents afterwards and said, you know, we're not quite sure your son understood what it was that he was doing there today. So just to be aware, and that might be conversation to be had and maybe something to do a, at another time. But it was so awkward that day in the <laughs> I pool. I was like, I was cringing a hundred. I was cringing so much because it's so important to me that we don't do this just to do it. Or, But, you know, we kids all the time... We have kids in our services at times that see the baptism. Sometimes we bring kids in so they can see one of their peers being baptized. Mm -hmm. And we get parents all the time, oh, Johnny saw the baptism. He wants to get baptized now. Because it, well, that looked like fun. I get to go swimming in church. People clap at you afterwards. Yeah, yeah, yes. And people clap and cheer and all that. So we're just, we work so hard to not allow that kind of confusion to exist and but that one, that one got through the system. <laughs> I, I felt so embarrassed. I was like, "Man, what do I do here?" Because I didn't want to hurt his feelings. I certainly yeah, didn't want to like kick him out. Yeah. You know, make his parents feel awful. <laughs> and so, lessons learned were, were even more thorough now. It's always going to be one that gets through every once in a while. Yeah, apparently. But well, good. Well, I think that. <clears throat> I Did you have any questions about uh, that came up in the Q and A about like immersion versus sprinkling or anything like Mm-mm. that? Yeah, that's no. always we've got, we've had that question. Um, we get that question a lot, not necessarily Q and A Sunday, but why why don't you sprinkle? And again, that comes out of basically a traditional fam- uh, denominational familiarity. They grew up having seen people sprinkled, and. I'm not sitting in judgment of sprinkling as an act of baptism. Um, again, I go back to the New Testament. We don't see any examples of baptism that weren't immersions, like fully submerging a body in the water. And so we, we see only those examples in the New Testament. Plus, we we think that there's a certain portrait that's happening there as Christ was he was crucified, he was buried, and he rose again, which is what baptism, you know, my identity or my identification with that act, baptism is part of what that's displaying. So we practice baptism by immersion as a way of that picture of being immersed in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so 
the only times we've ever made an exception, and we do make an exception from time to time, but a person has to demonstrate some sort of physical limitation for why they can't be submerged. Years ago, um, I did a baptism, just a sweet woman. I just love her to pieces, and she's been a dear part of our church family for years. She has some very serious health issues, and um, and so, you know, she came to me. She said, Paul, I, I want to get baptized, but I, I just I can't do the immersion thing. And I said, well, explain to me why, and she told me why. I'm like, well, we can sprinkle. We, and we ended up actually, I, you know, some people make a distinction between sprinkling and pouring. But I said, as long as, as long as I can pour some water over your head with the understanding of why we're doing this, it, it, it doesn't matter really at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how it's really the why. Yeah. And so it was fun, you know, she's standing in the pool with me and get this whole church family around us. This happened when we used to we used to actually do our baptisms outdoors at this big all church picnic. We had a family that had this pool and uh you could be in the pool and everybody literally three hundred and sixty degree around the pool watching. And it was so it was such a moment to explain we had baptized a bunch of other people that day before her. We said, we baptized these people by immersion, but I want to tell you the story of this woman and, and some of why she can't. And we did it all appropriate to what she had allowed us to say. And, and so we just, we just poured some water over her head and it was every bit the legitimate declaration, public declaration of her faith as had been the others. And so we have, I think one or two other occasions we had one person that they've had like significant surgeries on their back and for them to be in the position of having to, you know, bend backwards, I would have broken them and that that would have been awful. Right. So again, I said, okay, we, we can accommodate that. I just didn't want, we don't, we don't ever accommodate. Oh, we'll sprinkle or pour just because you don't want your hair to go crazy or you don't want your makeup to run. I'm, I'm not going to cater to that sort of sensibility. So uh, it's been interesting to enjoy baptisms at Cibolo Creek. Yeah, well, I've been a part of baptizing two people at Cibolo. One was uh, student student ministry, and then the yeah. second was my mother. Right. You and I got to do together, and that was an awesome, awesome experience. Uh, very privileged to be able to do that with and for her. But then also, uh, just kind of going back to the immersion part, whenever I took her down, well, she didn't go down all the way. So <laughs> I started coming back up and I was like, oh, uh-uh. so I pushed her down even further <laughs> and then brought her back up. And uh, she was jokingly, she's like, you trying to drown me? <laughs> no, that but, was a beautiful day. And if I remember correctly, your parents were introduced to Sybil Creek because they came the Sunday that you were being baptized. Yeah. As a teenager, right? Yeah. And so I'm a big proponent of baptism in the public declaration sense because it's also evangelism to a certain degree. Yeah. Um, and kind of helping people find their place because my parents came, um, which they had not been connected to a church. And I've been overflow the student ministry at Cibolo for a while with Nathan Bryant, the old student pastor. Um, and so whenever I got baptized, they started coming and haven't stopped. Yeah, coming and my grandpa, who had just moved here from San Antonio, was looking for a church. He came, 
he and he hasn't stopped coming and right. and then as a result of them coming they've invited different friends to come more regularly yeah. and so it's a really beautiful thing to see um you can just sit back and watch it it's also the, the beauty of staying in a place for a little while mm. um because you can just kind of sit back and watch to see what yeah what the fruit of steps of obedience yeah, even this first one a simple step of obedience getting yeah. baptized can can do yeah, I love that whole story of you starting to attend as a student and squaring up your relationship with Christ and being baptized, them being there, and then years later, a few years later, you having the joy of baptizing your mom. Mm-hmm. And Yeah, good stuff. I've actually been in the situation where the person didn't go down far enough and then <laughs> trying to force them down in. And, and we, I mean, there's just so many funny stories about baptism. Um there was one, this would have been last year, this this young man, he's probably in his, you know, late 30s. Um, we were baptizing him, <laughs> and I hadn't positioned him right correctly in the, in the baptistry, so he, he was too far back. So when I brought him back, his, his head was up against the side of the, the tub, which is all cushioned, so it wasn't hurting him, but I couldn't get him down any further. So I was kind of like wrestling with him and then pushed him down even further. And And I just remember I, it was very rough. I mean, it was, just wasn't a you know nice, smooth thing. <laughs> and uh, I'm sure it felt kind of traumatic for him. But I, I ended up turning right after, right after I'd brought him up. And his... Um, I think it was his ex-wife was there. She had come for the baptism. And she just had this look of horror on her face. Like, what did you just do? I just felt so bad. He had a couple of demons left in him. Yeah, got him out. so uncomfortable. And, uh, baptism. I, I place a lot of emphasis on its value. And um, so... I know there may be people who think, you know, if it doesn't really mean anything, then why do it? And I go, well, it does mean something, and we're going to keep doing it. Yeah. Well, and kind of similar to my story, I didn't know what was going to be the result of my baptism. Yeah. Right? And so I would say just have the humility to take that step and and see if God, and be open to God using it for yeah for other things. Yeah, that's a great, great attitude. So, switching gears rather drastically to a really simple question. Really um, drastically. Yeah. There there was some questions, several questions, I would say at least two, maybe three or four, about predestination. Ah, uh, yes. And whether or not God chooses those who will be saved, and if he does, well, then how do we do we actually choose him? So, anyways, let's just kind of start. What's... What is predestination, and then what is its opposite, I suppose? Howdy, everybody. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. Next week, we will be covering predestination and free will and everything that goes along with it. So, hope that you come back. It's going to be a great discussion.